on this episode of AV Week, the use case for transparent LCDs, taking a hard look at business practices and how the moon landing 50 years ago impacted the AV industry. All that and more next on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week, episode 413, recorded Friday, July 19, 2019. One small step. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Peerless AV, driving technology through innovation. And by Biam. And by Fadio, a leading manufacturer of professional PTZ cameras, Pro AV solutions, and UCC integration systems. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host. We have got a crew this week, and I'm very, very excited to see what they've got to say about the news we've gathered. First and foremost, her name is Victoria Ferrari. Watching the video, she's on a beach somewhere. If you're not, just accept the fact that she's on a beach somewhere. How are you, ma'am? I'm great. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, also, with this is one of my favorite programmers in the entire world. Someone I've heard an awful lot of. Her name is Ronnie Ann Spang, and she is in Southern California. Welcome, ma'am. All right. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And if you're watching the video, Ronnie is on a job site. <laughs> also known as a war zone. Well, war zone, job site, kind of, kind of part and parcel, yeah. Um, also, with this is my buddy Sam Malik with Optima now. Welcome, Hey, Tim. Good to see you again. And last but not least, from the great state of Georgia and bright sign, his name is Frank Pisano. Welcome, sir. Hey, Tim. Good to see you again, and thanks for having me. Absolutely. absolutely. Uh, we got a lot of stuff to, to discuss this week. So great, some great folks to discuss. So let's get started here. First story comes to us uh, from our friends over at AV Magazine, and it was an interesting story. It's a, it's a story about a European chicken restaurant called True Chicken. Uh, they're using transparent LCD screens. Uh, the flagship store in Peshing, Austria, underwent a complete digital transformation. Customers can order from an app, and then the food is delivered to a compartment uh, in the store, and that compartment has a transparent LCD screen as a cover. Monochrome content is shown on the display while the customer awaits their food. Transparent and nearly transparent screens and displays are making their way into the world of AV clothing, though uh, in, in retail and in what we probably call end-user spaces. Uh, Victoria, I want to start with you on this. Where do we see, what, what are the other uses or use cases for transparent displays or really transparent? So obviously, you know, the retail space is where they're getting pushed um, first and foremost, and it's super cool. Um, other places would be museums. Um, I think they could really do some awesome things there. Um, and then in a learning environment, you know, where a student is looking at, for example, a surgery or something, and then they have other things overlaid on top of the surgery the doctor's doing it. Uh, I mean, there's a plethora of things just, just off the top of my head, but I, this technology is, you know, it's so cool. It's so futuristic. It's something, you know, we see in the movie, we've seen in the movie for a while. Um, I mean, command and control, 
you know, so many things that I think it's, it's has limitless possibility. Yeah. Ronnie, we mentioned the fact that you're, you're at a, a job site in a war zone. If, you know, if you're not watching the video, there's a window behind Ronnie. That's one of the things that in one of the areas that folks are looking at. Uh, you've got, yes. Uh, you've got, uh, she's showing it, you know, very, very kind of white. Um, they're seeing some of these displays. And, and, and a lot of us have been in these conference rooms where you hit a button uh, and the active glass and it is an electrical charge that, that turns the glass opaque. Well, instead of having that, there's certainly, you know, one of the use cases people are talking about is turning those those windows into window walls into displays. So what other areas are we looking at here? Well, I've, I've done this uh, back in 2013, and it was actually uh, an Avidex idea, but we did the film over the screens with short throw absence to provide uh, security during uh, confidential conferences where you couldn't see into the room. So when the room was not booked, the windows are clear, and when the room is booked, the projection blinds whoever's looking at it because they've got light coming at them and they can't see what's going on in the room. So security privacy is definitely a way to do this. Uh, the transparent LCD, depending on what you're putting up, can make it difficult to see what's going on on the other side. Um, I've seen some really, and done, even done some designs for some really cool retail applications as well. It's not limited to just displays. You can take a piece of glass with that coating on it Cut it out into any shape, like let's say a person, projection map an image and have a virtual salesperson to interact with. So there's no limit. There is absolutely no limit to what we can do with glass and display technology, whether it's LCD projection and the sky's the limit. I mean, we already see holograms starting to become more effective. You know, it's it's going to continue to grow and evolve. I can't predict everywhere it's gonna go, but Generally, when somebody has a window like this, you know, immediately that that whole glass right there becomes signage space available because it's an exterior window. Interior becomes signage space. I mean, you don't have to have a TV anymore. In fact, it, once these LCDs get a little bit brighter, you don't need a TV. There's your TV right there. You know, the days of a television being these two square boxes are limited. We all know direct view LED modules are going to outsell these studies say five years. I think that's an accurate estimate. In five years, we're going to have limits of 55, 60, 65, 70, 75. It's going to be, buy a 27-inch module, put as many as you want, how big you want, but aspect, we don't care. And, and it's the same with glass, walls. You know, years ago, they did paintable OLED. I mean, tech is going to change and evolve. We as EV are lucky because when it changes and evolves, we get to play with the new stuff. Of course, that also means we have to learn the new stuff. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Sam, when it comes to to these uh, transplant, like like Ronnie said, the sky's the limit on this. How, how are you guys advising, or how, how should we advise the, the designers and the engineers to design for, for transparent or for, for just straight up glass? Yeah, it's. I mean, this area is growing quite a bit. I don't think we're advising them as much as showing them what technology is available and then they they can dream it and it gets integrated into you know their different projects i first saw the transparent lcds on like um refrigerator windows within like a 7-eleven showing advertising for coke pepsi etc and now that's being carried out beyond uh the refrigerator windows onto 
the, the storefront windows. We're working on storefront projects right now that are perfect for transparent LED type displays where they want to run, you know, in the old days when I was a kid, it was paper signs they taped to the window. And now they want to run, you know, bananas are on sale or whatever the special is, but they want to be able to change it on the fly and custom tailor it by time of day. And we're seeing that in fast food restaurants as well as storefronts. It's uh, it's pretty interesting to see where the developments are going. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Frank, this is something that, and again, let, let's let's be honest with you, that this, at least currently, right now, this is an experience, right? Yeah. Having having transparent LCD and, and, and nearly transparent is a unique experience. Uh, is this one of the ways that the industry is responding to a VIX's call? And, and then this call has been going on for, for three or four years now of experience or, or is, is transparent just kind of a gimmick and, and it's going to go away? Well, I'm actually, I mean, we find that digital signage is starting to become everywhere, right? So people do have to create experiences. You know, I agree with Victoria. There's a lot of this use case in retail, trying to get more people um, into these retail applications. And that happens to be BrightSign's largest vertical. But I think it's creating that experience, transparency, doing that, um, different form factors, displays, like Ronnie uh, had mentioned. We're just trying to, like, you know, now you're looking at a 55-inch display. Everyone's seen it. It doesn't even draw your eye anymore, um, especially since everyone's looking down on their phone. So I think transparent and different form factors are just a way to, you know, attract that eye to that space. So obviously, in digital signage, you don't want to pay for digital signage. You're not going to get much return on it. If, uh, if folks aren't looking at it. So this is just a pretty cool, unique way to do it. I, I think transparency is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, all right. Our, our next story comes to us from Senate Communications and a piece uh, by NSCA's Mike Abernathy about summertime business evaluation. Abernathy advises integrators to take a hard look at a, num- at a number of metrics uh, within their business before the busy season uh, kind of ramps up again. And for a, a number of, of integrators, the fall seems to be, the, the summer a lot of times seems to be a kind of a, a, a lull for, for some folks. I, I know one integrator uh, here in St. Louis who told me at Infocom he doesn't have a lull now, which is good for him. Uh, but but so, sometimes the summertime is, is a nice area to, to kind of sit back and, and, and reflect. Uh, Mike says to look at billing and labor rates, uh, project management, as well as, as who your advisors are. He says to do this again before the busy season hits, and you can start your take a take a, take inventory of where you are and and, and kind of your business practices. Uh, Sam, I want to start with you on this. Beyond billing rates and, and and labor rates, what are some other areas that you would advise an integrator to take a look at and hard look at uh, during a, a not so busy time? I, this is a good time to go back and review. Um, you know, where their PM contracts are, preventive maintenance contracts, these are all good sources of revenue. Um, it also keeps them close to the client. So when they're out on site doing PM uh, service repairs, cleanings, et cetera, they can get the forecast of what the next project is. So it's a good time to kind of reunite, reconnect with clients and make sure those relationships are in place. So most of the dealers I work with that are focused on profit, and uh, most of them are, they're, they're selling PM contracts and they're using that as relationship builders with their clients for future projects. Ronnie, same kind of question. What are some areas that, that you would advise an integrator to say, you know, these are some areas or some, some kind of uh, KPIs to look at? One of the things that a lot of companies in our industry do, there's two strategies for dealing with the peaks and the cycles of business, the, the sine wave of business. So the two ways I've seen companies, integrators in particular, handle this, uh, method number one is to hire more people for the peak seasons and lay them off in the slow seasons. 
And the problem with that approach is that when we cut people loose, it creates an, an aura of mistrust by the, the employees. And so what ends up happening is the more senior people don't want to be cut, so they form clicks. They circle the wagons around their click, and they don't share information or collaborate outside that click to artificially increase their value and prevent being one of the ones laid off. And so what ends up happening is you end up end up a very disjointed company where the knee bone doesn't talk to the elbow joint or, you know, the hip gym, whatever. I'm not an anatomy person, obviously. But, uh, you know, the, the parts don't work well together. And so I've seen a lot of companies that do this. In fact, I could look back through my resume at places that haven't worked out, and you'll see some. And when those companies call and, hey, would you like to come back to work for us? Uh, no. I don't want to be in that environment. The, the other type of company says, hey, when we have peaks or bursts, we'll outsource. We'll find staffing companies. We'll hire attempts so that we commit to our core. And when we bring in other people, we bring them in with the knowledge of, hey, we may or may not keep you. You're, you're, you know, and if you do want to stay, you're really going to have to demonstrate your worth. And, and that's a, a better approach because with that, your core people have uh, some degree of confidence that they're going to be around and they'll be willing to share knowledge. Yeah, absolutely. And there's some really great staffing companies as well um, that you can, you can search out and, and you're, you can send me an email. I can, I can send you some. So. Um, Frank, from, from your experience, who should be involved in this, in this kind of uh, self-reflecting process? Well, from my experience at Brightside, we don't have a slow period, so I'm a little jealous and envious of, of those that do. Um, I, I would tell you, that at the mid-year point, though, it's a good time to reflect on what happened the first half of the year. Um, so, you know, quarterly business reviews sometimes aren't done quarterly, and they're done twice a year instead. So this is a pretty good year to plan. Uh, I, I think that's it's almost goes for every single department too, Tim. So I, I would I would think that you know, obviously I run the sales department over at Bright Sign, so it's a good chance for me to get in sync up. We did a, a mid-year sales review on Monday, and it's always great to, to go do those, but I think it's for every department. It's it's for our, our software and our hardware engineers. It's for our sales operations. It's for the executive team. I think it's a, a really good time at this point of year trying to reflect on how the first six months of the year went and, and what it looks like for the second half. Very good. Victoria, if you're advising someone uh, running a business, how would you say that they should best implement some of these changes? If they've done the self-reflection, they've looked at the KPIs, they've done some adjustments and, and taken advice either from here or from this article, uh, how, do you, how do you put these, these changes into, into practice? I think it's important to, um, and what my company does is we build committees, so made up of different levels of people. So it's not just the executives that are, you know, saying, okay, you got to do this this way now. Um, we make a committee of people, you know, and, and it's usually made up of volunteers and say, hey, we have this new initiative. We're going to, um, you know, make our documentation better, for example, or whatever. And, you know, who wants to be a part of this team? You have like a couple core leaders on it. Um, I think that's one way to do it. Um, Another thing I was going to say is shout out to NSCA. If um, and if you're an integrator, you definitely want to be a part of them. They're awesome. They have tons of resources for you. They're a great organization run by amazing people. Um, and then I was going to say two more things to do in the downtime is training, training, training. So if you're if your techs are not being utilized, um, 
you know, have them do training, even online training or send them somewhere. Um, there's always new stuff that they can learn. And then the second thing is um, building culture. You know, if there is downtime, maybe it's, you know, have a summertime barbecue in the parking lot. You know, it doesn't have to be super fancy, but there's there's always things. There's always something to do. You know, if, if, if all else fails, you organize the warehouse. Yep, absolutely. Uh, and that's, that, that's actually how I started out in this industry. Um, our, our final story comes to us from SCN and the AV Network, uh, avnetwork.com. This week here in the U.S., we are celebrating the 50th anniversary of the moon landing and the Apollo 11 mission. The International Society for Technology and Education has spent the week highlighting that anniversary with a slate of events, including uh, the NASA playground, screening uh, of a planetarium show, and discussions with NASA personnel about technologies that have come from the moon landing and from the space program. Uh, the space race gave our industry, the AV industry, a number of technologies that didn't exist in the early 60s uh, before our President Kennedy said, we're going to the moon, not because it's easy, but because it's hard. Uh, the, 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 some of those technologies uh, either were not commercially viable or they just didn't exist before this area. Plantronics, which is now Poly, uh, was part of this uh, time. And our, our Connected program, uh, which is hosted by David Danto, took a look at Polly's involvement in the space program. Uh, but, but a number of other technologies have come out, and that's kind of what I, how I want to end the show here. And, and Ronnie, I'll start with you on this. Um, I guess generically, or, or just generally, what else did the AV industry, or, or should the AV industry, consider as being from the space program? Like, what do we owe the space program? Well, there's a lot. I mean, obviously, there's been developments in electronics, uh, weatherization, optics in particular. Uh, space program has really done amazing things for optics, you know, with scope, telescopes, sensors, uh, automation, um, adhesives, uh, coatings. There, there's just been so much. I mean, if you take AV and IT are similar. We take a bunch of hardware from a bunch of different companies that don't like each other, and we try to make it all work like one happy system including different software environments. Um, and then we're subject to power, heat, uh, humidity. These things, oh, and ambient light and, and acoustics, these things affect AV. But we're working with known devices that exist in an environment that seldom ranges between zero and 100% humidity, minus 150 to plus 150 Fahrenheit. Space program is working with a much wider array of environmental conditions, no atmosphere, more radiation, colder, hotter, um, and with equipment that doesn't exist. So everyone can learn from space. I used to think that he had the hardest job in the world. That's why I came into AV, because IT and AV have, the, well, IT didn't exist when I started, but uh, IT and AV have the same challenges, except that IT doesn't care about acoustics and ambient lighting. We have a harder job than IT does. We're subject to networking, to hacking, to security breaches, to all the problems of IT, and then some. So we have, a, we have one of the toughest jobs, but then you look at the space program, and that's very humbling, because what they do makes what we do look like child's play. So I think anyone can look at the space program for inspiration. How do we innovate at that level? That's really you know, genius. These people are taking and building something from nothing. We're at least starting with something. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Frank, uh, we take a look at, at the programs and, and I, I'm reminded of a number of individuals I, I know in the industry that got involved 
in AV by way of the space program, uh, a couple of uh, folks that were put through school because of some of the grants that the, the government was doing. Um, you know, they, they went to school and then got an electrical engineering degree back in the 60s and then throughout the 70s. And that was the basis of, of their AV um, career. So now that we are 50 and honestly almost 60 years removed from that original starting point, how can the government globally, not just the U.S., this is a global question, kind of help infuse money, enthusiasm, something uh, into the STEM programs uh, in, in their countries? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really cool getting these uh, kids involved early, right, and getting them more interested. And in fact, I, I think it's so important. My, I'm sending my son to uh, who's who's 10 to a STEM Academy next year. So I think it would be great to get more young people. It, you know, this industry needs an inflection of more younger folks into the, into the workforce. So I know I have um, many, many openings in Northern California for inside salespeople and for, for other folks in the organization that we want to start with, with people that know a little bit about AV. So how do we, how do we go about doing that? And if we can, you know, get some, funding into the STEM academies and, and other similar programs. That's the way we can get people more interested. I mean, our industry is pretty cool. It, it is really cool. We get to, we talked about it. Some of the earlier questions, we get to play with some new toys that come out um, that, that everyone's looking at uh, consumers and, and down to the, you know, the crazy commercial installation. So the more young people we can get involved, the better and, and the faster we get them involved, the better. Yeah. Absolutely. Victoria, kind of to Frank's point, though, if, if not the government, then who else could we look to? Is it something that uh, Avixa and NSCA and CEDIA and those types of organizations, or is it more, you know, relying on, you know, the, the tech giants to kind of push and, and maybe even pull uh, the STEM programs through both here in the U.S. and, and abroad? I think, you know, it's going to be a team effort with everybody, governments and educators and organizations like Avixa and NSCA. But most importantly is the parents of these children. You know, it's like when I think I have a niece who's 19 years old and she's going to college. And I think about when she was, she does not know life without a cell phone. Right. I mean, she's, she, you know, is fully immersed in technology and kids these days it's like they play video games they i have another niece who's 14 and she's into um really into i can't think of the name the game with all the blocks that you build minecraft, minecraft. yeah you know it's like these kids are using parts of their brains younger and younger that you know most of us don't even use today um so <laughs> i think it's definitely the the talent pool is out there and just the innovation is going to, you know, skyrocket um, by leaps and bounds by getting these kids involved and the number one place is at home. So Frank, you know, that's awesome that you're sending your kid to, to a STEM, a STEM uh, camp and we need to be doing that more and more. Well, same to, 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 to Victoria's point though. I mean, um, your son has grown up and, and is now an accomplished videographer and, and is, been in and around the industry. So how do you get, you know, how do you translate, you know, this love of technology and this, this immersion in technology into an interest into STEM and an interest into AV? I, I think we've got to try and expose them to AV more, uh, you know, through Avixa, NSCA, obviously, 
that my son got involved with a lot of trade shows from me being in the industry, he tagged along. And I remember I was so excited to take him to CES. And then I said, how was that? And he's like, well, it's everything I've already seen on the internet. I don't ever need to go again. And, and so I got to see it through his eyes of, of how they view it. And the more we can look through you know, people 25 and less, you know, how they look at the world, you know, like Victoria is saying, everybody knows a cell phone. Everybody knows their iPad. Uh, going back to the original subject, you know, the Apollo 50 years ago, that article provoked my thinking. The screens that we all watched in Houston, that the controllers all watched, those must have been CRT, rear projection, and VGA, I'm guessing. Today, those would have all been direct view LED, probably 0.9 millimeter, beautiful color, crisp images in 4K. Um, we learned how to transmit images in, in resolution. Uh, imagine, I, I think LEDs probably came out of space program uh, because originally they were all, you know, incandescent lamps that took a lot more power. And had they done Apollo today, but with LED lamp technology, how much power it would have saved for powering up the, the limb and all that stuff. So I think there's a lot of cool technology that came out of it. I think kids today, younger people, 25 or less, are naturally drawn to technology, but they automatically assume or expect it. You know, they, they're, they're so comfortable. They're born with the phone in their hand, so to speak, um, that it's got to be new ways to approach it. You know, direct view LED has hit people differently. The, the uh, transmissive or translucent LED, like we talked about earlier, where, you know, you can see through a piece of glass or display on it. That's something totally new. We can shape it. We can put it anywhere. We can do anything we want. These are the people that are going to dream you know, how, how does it apply? You know, like Disney Imagineering, if you can dream it, you can do it. Right. So I think the more we expose those people to those things, you know, as manufacturers, for instance, then the more applications we'll see out of it. Absolutely. That'll be a good place to stop. Thank you all so much. Ms. Victoria Ferrari. Thank you. Uh, how do people get a hold of you if they are so inclined? Thanks for having me, Tim. People can uh, find me Netrix, N-E-T-R-I-X, L-O-C, my company. And uh, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram, LinkedIn, you know, just search Victoria Ferrari. I think I'm the only one in the AV industry. Yeah, all right. Uh, Ronnie Ann, uh, I thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to have you and always a pleasure to have you. Uh, how do people get a hold of you with the Arizona Fine? The best way is LinkedIn because I may not always have time to read my personal email, ronnie at scanview.net, or, uh, you know, just visit any mental hospital. They'll usually know where to find me. <laughs> <laughs> I think they have a tracker on me by now. This is awesome. <laughs> All kidding aside, and I, and I love the fact that she's a, a big hitter. Uh, ronnie is one of the most uh, prolific people on, on LinkedIn, so if you're not following her, you need to be. Uh, on, on LinkedIn, so that's my, my two cents. Um, Mr. Sam Malik, thank you. Good to see you, Tim. Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn as well. Uh, I'm I'm there and all over uh, avindustryprofessionals.com. Uh, so, all right, very good. And Sam works for Optima, so you can get a hold of him there too. Uh, Mr. Frank Pisano, thank you, sir. How do people get a hold of you or Bright Sign if they are so inclined? Well, I'm, I'm on Twitter at, at Pisano Frank, and also LinkedIn is probably my most used social media. And uh, Brightsign can be found at brightsign.biz. 
Very good. Thank you all so much. For me, for Tim Albright, don't follow me on the Twitters, but go by the website if you would, please. Avionation.tv. That's avionation.tv. You'll find this program and a host of others. While you're there, uh, check out our supporter section. These are the folks who help us financially, help, help us bring you AV Week and Resi Week in about a month and a half, two months' time. Uh, CDF 2019 coverage. It feels like we just ended, ended Infocom. <laughs> So uh, also while you're there, we've got a new webinar coming up talking about uh, control systems and automation and APIs that happens this Wednesday. Uh, so this will post on Monday. So in two days time, we'll be talking with the folks at, at State of Control and, and, and talking about, you know, control and automation. So all that and more at avianation.tv. That's avianation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. That's all the time we have for AV Week.